Part one, chapter twenty-two of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyon and Malevsky. Part one, chapter twenty-two. Not till he had reached the hall did Vinitius understand the whole difficulty of the enterprise. The house was large, containing several stories. It was one of the thousands of buildings erected in Rome for renting to tenants. These houses, for the most part, were so hurriedly and poorly built that rarely a year passed without a number of them falling down upon the heads of their occupants. Veritable beehives they were, high and narrow, full of little rooms and dens overcrowded by the poor. In a city where many streets were without names, these houses had no numbers. The owners entrusted the collection of rents to slaves who, not being obliged by the city authorities to report the names of the tenants, often did not know the names themselves. To find anybody by inquiry in such a house was often a difficult task, especially when there was no doorkeeper. Vinitius and Croto came to a long passage like a corridor, walled in on four sides, forming a kind of common court for the entire building, with a fountain in the middle, the water of which sprayed into a stone basin embedded in the ground. At all the walls were stone or wooden stairways, leading inwardly to galleries that gave access to lodgings. On the ground floor were more lodgings, some provided with doors, others separated from the yard only by woolen curtains. These were for the most part torn or patched. It was early dawn. There was no one in the yard. Evidently everybody was asleep in the house, save those who had returned from Ostranium. "'What shall we do, master?' asked Croto, halting. "'Let us wait here. Somebody may appear,' replied Vinitius. "'It is best that we should not be seen in the yard.' None the less he thought that Chilo's advice was practical. Had he with him but a score or so of slaves, nothing would have been easier than to occupy the gate, which apparently was the only exit, and then search all the lodgings. It was necessary to find Lygia's abode at once, otherwise the Christians, who certainly were plentiful in this house, might warn her that she was being searched for. On this account it was dangerous to make inquiries of strangers. Vinitius was turning over in his mind whether it would not be better to return for his slaves, when from behind a curtain screening a remote lodging emerged a man carrying a sieve in his hand, who approached the fountain. The young tribune at once recognized Ursus. "'Tis the Lygian,' whispered Vinitius. "'Shall I break his bones now? Wait!' Ursus had not seen them, for they stood in the shadow of the entrance. He quietly set to work washing the vegetables that filled the sieve. It was evident that he was getting ready a meal after the night spent in the cemetery. When he had finished his preliminaries he took the wet sieve and disappeared behind the curtain. Croto and Vinitius ran after him, expecting that they would gain immediate access to Lygia's lodgings. They marveled greatly on finding that the curtain divided not lodgings from the courtyard, but another dark passage, at the end of which they beheld a small garden containing a few cypresses and myrtle bushes, and a small house attached to the back wall of another stone building. Both understood that this was a favorable circumstance. The tenants might all assemble in the courtyard, but the seclusion of the little house made their project easier. They would overcome Ursus quickly and would reach the street just as quickly with the captured Lygia. There their troubles would be over. Probably no one would molest them. 
if they were questioned they would say that a hostage of caesar's had escaped vinitius would then declare himself to the guards and would call upon them for help ursus was on the point of entering the little house when the sound of footsteps attracted his attention he halted and seeing two men put down the sieve and turned towards them whom seek ye he asked thee replied vinitius turning to croto he said in a low hurried voice kill croto sprang upon ursus like a tiger and before the lygian could recover himself or recognize his enemies he had caught him in his arms of steel vinitius was so certain of croto's superhuman strength that he did not wait to witness the issue of the combat passing the two he sprang to the door of the little house pushed it open and found himself in a room lighted only by a fire burning in the hearth a gleam from this fire fell full upon the face of lygia a second person sitting by the fire was the old man who had accompanied the girl and ursus on the road from ostranium vinitius rushed in so suddenly that before lygia could recognize him he had seized her around the waist and lifting her had gained the door again the old man attempted to bar the way but holding the girl with one arm vinitius pushed him aside with the other the hood fell from his head at sight of his familiar but now terrible features the blood froze in lygia's veins and utterance died in her throat she would have called for help but could not vainly did she attempt to grasp the door-frame and to resist her fingers slipped along the stone she would have fainted were it not for a horrible sight that she was compelled to witness when vinitius had reached the garden ursus was holding in his arms the limp form of a man whose head was hanging down with blood flowing from his mouth seeing them the giant struck the head once more with his fist and instantly sprang towards vinitius like an infuriated animal death thought the young tribune then he heard as in a dream the cry of lygia thou shalt not kill then he felt that something like a thunderbolt relaxed the arms with which he embraced lygia then the earth spun round and the light of day vanished from his eyes chilo hiding around the corner was waiting for what would happen curiosity and terror fought for the mastery within him should they succeed in kidnapping lygia he deemed that he would fare well at the hands of vinitius he had no further fear of ursus for he was confident that croto would kill him he calculated that in case a crowd should gather in the now empty streets or if christians or anybody else should offer resistance he would speak to them as one in authority and a representative of caesar if necessary he would summon the guards to help the young patrician against the mob and thus win fresh favor he thought that the plan of vinitius was unwise but when he considered croto's remarkable strength he owned that it might succeed and thought that if any difficulty arose the tribune might carry the girl while croto would clear the way time passed slowly however and the silence of the entrance where he watched affrighted him if they do not find her hiding-place and make a noise they will give her warning but this thought was not repugnant to him he saw that in such a case he would again become necessary to vinitius and could squeeze out of him a number more of sesterces whatever they do said he to himself it will inure to my benefit though no one perceives it gods o oh gods gods permit me only he stopped suddenly it seemed to him that someone was leaning forward from the entrance crouching still closer to the wall he peered out holding his breath he had not been deceived a head thrust halfway out of the entrance looked hastily about 
a moment later it disappeared that is vinitius or croto thought chilo but if they have seized the girl why does she not cry out and why are they gazing out upon the street they are sure to meet people anyway for before they reach the carinae there will be people stirring in the city what is that by the immortal gods the remnant of his hair rose suddenly upon his head in the doorway stood ursus the body of croto hanging upon his arm warily glancing around the giant started to run with the body towards the river chilo flattened himself against the wall like a piece of plaster i am gone if he sees me ursus ran quickly past the corner and disappeared against the next house chilo without more ado his teeth chattering with fright ran along the cross street with a swiftness that would have done credit to a youth if when coming back he spies me from afar he will catch me and kill me said he to himself save me zeus save me apollo save me hermes save me god of the christians i will leave rome and return to mesembria but save me from the clutch of that demon the lygian who had slain croto seemed to him a superhuman being even as he ran he wondered if he were some god who had assumed the appearance of a barbarian at that moment he believed in all the gods of the world and in all the myths at which he usually mocked it passed through his mind also that it might have been the god of the christians who had killed croto and his hair rose again at the thought that he was warring against such a power not until he had traversed a number of alleys and seen some workmen approaching him did he recover his breath failed him so he sat down on the steps of a house and wiped his perspiring forehead with a corner of his mantle an old man like myself needs rest said he the men turned into a side street again he was in solitude the city still slept in the mornings the stir began in the wealthier sections of the city where the slaves of rich families were made to rise before daylight in the sections inhabited by the freed population supported in idleness at the expense of the state the inhabitants rose late especially in winter time chilo after sitting for some time began to get cold so he got up and after feeling for the purse that vinitius had given him he walked slowly towards the river i may see croto's body somewhere said he to himself gods this lygian if he be a man could earn millions of sesterces in one year if he strangled croto like a whelp who could withstand him he could get his weight in gold for each appearance in the arena he guards that girl better than cerberus does hades but may hades swallow him i want nothing to do with him he is too muscular but what shall i do now a horrible thing has happened if he has broken the bones of such a man as croto surely the soul of vinitius is weeping over that cursed house waiting for his burial by castor he is a patrician a friend of caesar a relative of petronius a man known throughout rome and a military tribune his death will not be passed by suppose i should go to the praetorian camp or to the city guards he stopped and debated with himself then after a time he resumed woe is me who led him to that house if not i his freedmen and his slaves know that i came to him and some know with what purpose what will happen to me if they suspect that i purposely pointed out to him the house where he met his death 
although afterwards in court i could prove that i did not desire his death they will say that i was the cause of it besides he is a patrician so in any case i will be punished but if i steal away from rome and go far away i should expose myself to still greater suspicion it was a bad case from any point of view the only thing to be done was to choose the lesser evil rome was a big place but chilo felt that it might become too small for him another man might have gone straight to the prefect of the guards and inform him of what had happened suspicion might indeed fall on him but he could calmly assist the investigation but chilo's whole past was of such a character that a closer acquaintance with the prefect of the city or with the prefect of the guard would cause him serious trouble and confirm also any suspicions that might come into the heads of the officers on the other hand to fly would be to convince petronius that vinitius had been betrayed and murdered through conspiracy petronius was a powerful man who could enlist the police and the whole empire and who would undoubtedly endeavor to find the guilty ones even at the end of the earth still chilo debated whether he should not go to petronius and tell him the whole story this might be the best plan to pursue petronius was an even-tempered man and chilo could be certain at least that he would hear him out to the end petronius who knew the whole affair would be more likely to believe in chilo's innocence than the prefects but before going to him it was necessary to know for a certainty what had befallen vinitius and chilo did not know that he had seen the lygian stealing towards the river with croto's body but that was all vinitius might be killed or he might only have been wounded and taken prisoner now the thought struck chilo that the christians would not dare to kill so powerful a man an augustale and a high military official for such a deed might cause a general persecution it was more likely that they had forcibly detained him to give lygia time to hide herself in some other place this thought filled chilo with hope if that lygian dragon has not torn him to pieces at the first onset he is still alive and if he is alive he himself will testify that i have not betrayed him and then not only nothing menaces me but o oh hermes count on two heifers again a new field opens before me i can inform one of the freedmen where to look for his master it is his business whether he goes to the prefect or not the point is that i will not go i may even count on a reward from petronius first i search for lygia now i shall search for vinitius then for lygia again but first of all i must find out whether vinitius is alive or dead here it occurred to him that he could go at night to the miller demas and inquire about ursus but he threw aside this idea he preferred to have nothing to do with ursus it was more than probable that if ursus had not killed glaucus he had been warned perhaps by some christian elder to whom he had confessed his purpose that it was an evil affair to which a traitor had persuaded him besides the very thought of ursus sent a shiver through chilo's body he thought that in the evening he would send eurysius to the house in which the affair had happened and let him bring back the news meantime he needed refreshment a bath and rest the sleepless night the journey to ostranium the flight from the trans tiber had fatigued him beyond measure one thing gave him much comfort he had two purses for himself one which vinitius had given to him at home and another which he had flung to him on the way back from the cemetery 
because of this happy circumstance and because of the excitement through which he had passed he resolved to eat heartily and to drink better wine than usual when at length the hour arrived for opening the wine-shops he ate and drank so much that he forgot about the bath he desired sleep above all things so he returned with wavering steps to his abode in the Sabora, where a female slave bought with vinitius's money awaited him as soon as he had entered the bedroom dark as a fox's hole he threw himself upon the bed and immediately fell asleep not till evening did he awake or rather he was then awakened by the slave-woman calling him to get up for some one was inquiring for him and wished to see him about an urgent matter the vigilant chilo was awake in an instant hastily throwing on his mantle and hood he commanded his slave to stand aside and peered out cautiously the sight which greeted him almost paralyzed him before the door of the sleeping-room stood the gigantic form of ursus he felt his feet and head grow cold as ice his heart ceased to beat and shivers passed up his spine for some time he could not speak but at length with chattering teeth he said or rather groaned sire i am not at home i know not that good man i told him thou wert home and asleep master answered the girl but he bade me to awaken thee o oh, gods i will command that thou but Ursus, as if impatient of delay, approached the door of the bedroom and thrust his head inside. Chilo Chilonides, he said. Peace be with thee, peace, peace, replied Chilo. Oh, best of Christians, yes, I am Chilo, but there is some mistake, I know thee not. Chilo Chilonides, repeated Ursus, thy master, Vinitius, demands that thou go to him with me. End of part one, chapter twenty-two.